The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to Press Box Final Edition. Brian Curtis of The Ringer here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. You've probably read at least a little about the Sam Bankman-Fried FTX scandal. Well, we have a rule here at the Press Box. When there's a massive crypto scandal, and when it's funny, we call one person. She is my favorite chronicler of both business and business dudes. My teammate and pal since the Grantland days, the Ringer's very own Katie Baker. Katie, welcome to the Press Box. Hi, thanks for having me. So you wrote a story last month for The Ringer called the FTX Crypto Scandal Explainer Dictionary, which I recommend anyone who wants to both learn about this scandal and laugh read immediately. But before we dive into the dirty details, what makes the FTX scandal so interesting for you? I think it's just the sheer number of people and entities and terms involved, um, you know, ranging from a Bahamian uh, penthouse suite called the Orchid, which something about that <laughs> is just so chilling to me, um, to, you know, we had Major League Baseball umpires wearing FTX on their uniforms. And we have the, you know, the head of, um, you know, we have these, these people involved who are the children of professors at Stanford and MIT and there's celebrities, but there's also Washington and there's nerds, but there's also, you know, cool kids. And so it, it, it was just kind of, you know, when I was writing the dictionary, I remember it was stressful because these very strange new things kept coming out that were entire new, not just new entries, but like entire new, you know, tentacles of the story. So for the financially illiterate among us, which is to say me, what made Bankman Freed and FTX stand out during their brief heyday? Well, for one thing, um, he was positioned for a long time um, as kind of a, not a savior. Well, actually, some people did call him a savior, but he would sometimes swoop in and, and you know invest. And I'm saying this with a million scare quotes at this point. But um, when there would be a struggling crypto company or 
a coin that, you know, was going under even Robinhood at one point, um, which, you know, was a, a trading app that lots of people use on their phones. He was sort of a um, swooped in and made a big investment when they were having times of trouble, which then led to people calling him Warren Buffett and that sort of thing. So uh, in some ways, he was regarded as this guy who was a little bit um, you know, opportunistic, but also because he had done the right things, he was in a position to help these maybe more unsavory companies. And so that was also kind of just one of the things that made the implosion of his own company more shocking and and also just more interesting to take a look at. You mentioned sports stars, celebrities who got recruited into this umbrella. Tell me some of your favorites. Well, you know, you have the usual suspects, but, you know, it just seems like Tom Brady is always involved in these things. Um, Steph Curry is always open to a new, to hawk something new. Um, the one that really stuck with me in sort of a, in a weird way was uh, Naomi Osaka because mm. she, to me, symbolized her kind of sales pitch in the, in the, um, in the ads that she was in was very much about women in crypto and making sure, you know, bringing diversity to crypto and, 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 you know, not letting this be something that only a select few can get involved with. And I saw that thread like a fair amount and you just kind of see it. And to me, it, it, it's kind of this, I don't know, to me, it just seems like this very cynical um, mindset where you're sort of weaponizing this idea of like feminism and equality. And that would just kind of get, you know, I'm not saying she came up with the ad or anything like that, um, but to use her and to position her in that way. Um, and a lot of the other, you know, women who have sort of gone that women in crypto route, um, it just, I just feel like it speaks to them really kind of trying to identify groups of people that they can, um, you know, reach and bring into this. I mean, the, the overarching ad theme was called like you in. <laughs> um, and so just, you know, who do we know that's not in yet and how can we almost like weaponize that? Did I see like a giant wide scale music video by Randy Zuckerberg at one point that was striking these same notes? We should go back and look if that was like, you know, the top tick of the market was when, what was it that she was lip syncing? Oh, we're, we're like, we're, we're going to make gonna, it after all. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. When Randy gets involved, it, run, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the Tom Brady involvement of this were those Tom Brady tweets where he had laser eyes. His Twitter avatar for a while was laser eyes. I don't know if he had already removed them when FTX fell. I think he had kind of quietly. Uh, removed the the laser eyes. Other thing we saw after the whole scandal unfolded was lots of political formers sitting with SBF, if we may call him that, at various conferences. There was Bill Clinton, I remember. Tony Blair, I think, was at least in one of these conferences. Were these in the Bahamas too? There was uh, there was at least one major conference in the Bahamas where, and I think that's the one that. Um, that where he sat on stage with Giselle and like you said, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, really hitting all the, you know, the, the, the old uh, politicians there. Um, I think Michael Lewis was in attendance at that, uh, at that FTX conference. And yeah, there's, you know, he also, there's a lot of talk about the political contributions that he made, um, which on the surface, I think were 
broadly to, you know, democratic causes. But, you know, there was an interview in which he said he was also donating to GOP causes. Um, you know, for him, the value out of donating was him trying to, you know, well, th- there are multiple reasons, but one of them was he was always very vocal about issues of crypto regulation and um, and how to do that effectively. And so I'm sure that was a part of it. And then also his kind of broader worldview of effective altruism, which is the sort of um, combination of like dorm room, late night, you know, pondering the the mysteries of the universe with, <laughs> you know, wanting to have the most cold, hard cash to, to be able to use um, in the ways that you think are going to be best for not just yourself, but for humanity and post-humanity. So it really can go to some interesting places. So, um, you know, once you start with Bill Clinton, it always has a way of somehow devolving into post-humanity and simulations and all that. <laughs> you write in your piece, effective altruism is kind of a hall pass for greed. I can be greedy. I can make as much money as humanly possible, but it's okay because I'm going to give it away and I'm going to give it to worthy causes down the line. Yeah. I mean, that is one kind of way to look at it. And he certainly did look at it, at it that way in the sense of people would ask him, do you think that, you know, are you trying to almost be as risky as possible in the hopes that you do hit that home run? Because the more risk you take on, you know, when it, the pendulum does swing in the in the good way you you know have this kind of unmatchable ability to to donate and to build things and to conceive things so um you know but you can kind of use that as like you said it it can kind of just defend making any decision if you're going to frame it that way um and I, I feel like when it comes to a lot of this stuff when you read it and then when you think about the fact that you know, you read about SBF and how he grew up the son of these two Stanford law professors and, um, or Stanford professors. And, you know, they had other professors over for dinner all the time and they had these scholarly salons. And I just imagine them talking about like the trolley problem and him being a six-year-old at the table, just lapping it up. And Hmm. it all leads (laughs) to this, you know what I mean? Whenever there's a scandal like this, we like to go back and find the media people who got romanced by the figure in the middle of the scandal, in this case, SBF. What was the tenor of some of that coverage during his heyday? Um, it's a, you know, there was different coverage. It's interesting. I was kind of trying to think through like a, a Bill Simmons ask winners and losers type thing when it came to the media. <laughs> I like it. Um, what, <laughs> one yeah. unlikely winner, and then I'll get to losers, is uh, the actor Ben McKenzie, who many listeners may know is Ryan from the OC. Um, before all this, he was a sort of pretty loud anti-crypto voice uh, to the point where he is working on a book with the journalist Jacob Silverman um, about this. And he, and Ben McKenzie testified to Congress just the other day about this. So he's really been um, vindicated in the, you know, a lot of what he thought early on. So he's definitely a winner in my book. Um, some of the Loser. Well, I, a neutral, I would say, was, um, you know, right when the FTX thing happened, um, our our uh, guiding star, Matt Levine, the the financial writer for Bloomberg, who's kind of the the best in the biz. You know, he had written a, a, a column in which he said, 
I like Sam Bankman Fried. I like him as a person. I, I want to believe in him. So people were kind of clowning him for that. But the simple response was to look at the piece and look at the section heading in which he was writing this, which was called the Ponzi, the Ponzi thing. Um, <laughs> and he was basically concluding that a lot of this stuff really did sort of fit the description of the Ponzi scheme. And, you know, so his assessment of that was a little more nuanced and, um, you know, he's just been incredible on this all along. Um, you know, then you have people like, you know, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, who've just kind of been doubling down. You have Bill Ackman, the the hedge fund guy, um, who when Sam Bankman-Fried went on his first interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin, you know, I think Bill was actually in the audience. He's tweeting, I believe everything he's saying. Um, so even <laughs> after the fall, that's the one that to me just stands out. Even after all of this, he's still in, you know, he's still... He still wants to believe. Um, those were some that stuck, stood out to me. Yeah, I feel I saw at least one Jim Cramer tweet screenshotted. <laughs> Maybe it was the J.P. Morgan one. <laughs> yeah. him. The other one that, um, you know, I don't know if it, I don't know really where it was distributed other than online, but the big VC firm Sequoia, which was a big investor in and investee of Sam Beckman breed um, they commissioned this like 14,000 word New Yorker style glowing, um, you know, first person included article about Sam that was on their website very proudly, tons of photos. Um, that one in the headline has the word savior in it. Um, it's now been scrubbed from the web, but it can be found in the Wayback Machine. But I mean, that was kind of the gold standard for like, um, Things that in hindsight, when you read them, it, it, just every word is feels like a red flag. That's not just New Yorker. 14,000 words is like William Sean, New Yorker in the 70s, where we're doing a three-part series. Is that like typical for Sequoia Capital to be in the long-form <laughs> business? Yeah, I'm, I'm now wondering, you know, I, I, where I went wrong. If, I, I wonder what they, uh, what they paid per <laughs> word over there. <laughs> They're going to save long form. Somebody has to. I will say reading the piece, I really, um, it, was, it was illuminating to me because I could imagine myself having written it if I followed a lot of my just, not worst impulses, but if I like, if I just didn't have someone there to like rein me in or to or to question things or if I wasn't doing enough of a good job you know questioning things like I, I could see how it was created which was you know I was telling someone that reading it I had to almost read it in chunks because it was like staring at the sun like I I, I it was it was it was too real um but while at the same time being just filled with all kinds of details um you know, about him playing video games while get while interviewing with BC firms and just, and, but, but seeing that is like the coolest thing ever. So I get that same feeling. And whenever the Elizabeth Holmes documentaries came out, and of course they bring on all the journalists who wrote the cover story about the genius of Elizabeth Holmes on, and, and we're going to review this line by line. And, and I get the same squeamish feeling. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can see the anecdotes they're pouncing on. I can see them falling for the romance of the subject and I can see them getting also just getting stuck, right? Like not being able to figure out what's going on because they've got limited time and a limited look inside the machine. So what they wind up is with this kind of admiring 
profile that then will be held up <laughs> and flogged after the fact, like, oh no, look what you did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it definitely had a big, you know, cautionary tale, not just about um, the person it was being written about, but just about the process of writing yes. these things. And then you have the added layer of it being, you know, commissioned presumably by Sequoia. <laughs> so, <laughs> in this um, case. and you could almost feel them trying to make it seem like, well, no, but I'm also, I also get it. You know, I'm, I'm not just doing this anyway. Th- th- there is a lot to it reading that piece. I mean, I recommend it as like a, a document for sure. For people who like to stare into the sun. We yeah, should exactly. also note that uh, Bankman Freed, mostly through his philanthropic foundation, made a lot of investments in media. This is from Puck. He hired a team of advisors who'd been making investments in nonprofit and for-profit newsrooms over the last year, including in Vox, The Intercept, ProPublica, The Law and Justice Journalism Project, an international affairs podcast, and most prominently, Semaphore. So that's really fascinating. Also love the words you also get in every single article about this. The quote, loosely regulated world of crypto. You cannot write about this scandal without using the adjective loosely regulated. You're reminding me of one of my favorite things, and I don't even know if this would be backed up by research, but I don't care, which is, I swear that there was a time in like the mid aughts when hedge funds were being written about a lot. And every time the New York Times said the word hedge funds, it was followed by comma, loosely regulated pools of capital. That <laughs> phrase, every time, I swear. It was like in the, it was like a hedge fund. Comma. <laughs> Shoemaker and I also love to track when celebrities go into the embattled or disgraced zone. Because we don't have any convictions, right, or guilty pleas yet. So you have to find an adjective to describe it. I saw our old pal Jay Caspian Kang in The New Yorker, the disgraced founder of the cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. And I've seen a lot of embattled as well. You know, I've deployed an embattle in my time, I, I, I must say. But yeah, he was, he went into the zone. I'm trying to think what his word would have been, bef- like, you know, if you look two days earlier, you know, the... You could always go with the eccentric, the idiosyncratic, or you know the um, the ascendant <laughs> <laughs> from ascendant to embattled in days is, is, is the is the good stuff. Yep, some precocious. My favorite is always colorful too, because <laughs> yesterday's colorful is today's. Uh oh, we should have known. Which, speaking of which, there were a lot of signs of grandeur or oddness that maybe were part of SBF's mystique and now look like warning signs when viewed after the fact? What are some of your favorites of those? One aspect, you know, and you, you asked why, what's funny about this early on. This was just one of those weird ones, which is, you know, he is talked about as always playing video games like League of Legends. Um, and that when he got a big Sequoia investment, they were on a Zoom call. Um, and the whole time he was, he was playing, and there's, you know, and they're in Slack talking about how cool this guy is because he's in the midst of, of playing video games while on this investor call. Um, and then it leads to this kind of serious investigation by the Financial Times, I think it was, about that that found his profile on League of Legends. And he was only, and I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, but I think he was only a bronze tier or something <laughs> like that. And they were like, you know, for the amount he plays, he really should be better. Like, that's an embarrassing 
um, level to be in. So, you know, the video game play and then the obvious, you know, that's a red flag. Why isn't he better if he's playing video games so often? Um, you know, the sleeping on bean bags, the, um, there's a picture of him at his desk that got, you know, dissected to death and it included like a giant bulk container of table salt that people were speculating about and, um, you know, medications that caused a lot of interest and, you know, so just a lot of that stuff, um, there's just a lot going on there. What was it? Did you have a favorite? Well, the beanbag thing just did not look comfortable at all. It looks like when I walk in a room and find my kids kind of just flopped on things. Yeah, it was like two, it was like a two beanbag setup. <laughs> Which is not a particularly great way to sleep, at least for, for me. Uh, he resigns and declares bankruptcy on November 11th. What are some of the events that conspire to help FTX bite the dust? Well, you know, he has this kind of rival in the crypto world. CZ is what he sort of goes by. Um, so there is a lot of back and forth with CZ. And, you know, I know that's kind of some of the stuff that Michael Lewis has um, has alluded to in his work that um, he sees that relationship as being interesting. And I, I do too, in the sense of this guy CZ seems like the one guy that can actually needle Sam because and, and get under his skin. Like, I feel like when he responds to him, he actually gets kind of, you know, um, like forthright and, and kind of, you know, but also petty. So that, that was a good one. I mean, to me, the, you know, from that time period of when that was all happening, the, the two things that really stood out were these Excel spreadsheets, you know, that, that were leaking of the company's assets. And, um, and then Sam was making up one to try to reconcile where the, where the money went. And it just would say things like hidden, poorly internally labeled, fiat account like negative eight billion dollars <laughs> just on like a like a google sheet you know um and then an old presentation from um from the company to investors promising quote high returns with no risk which is like the talk about red flags if that's just like sometimes you you know you take these financial ethics classes or something and you know for for certifications and you think like, this is just so obvious or elementary, you know, no one says high returns with no risk and but there it is right there. So, um, you know, they, they just, it turned out that there wasn't money behind, um, you know, they were, as the, uh, as the bankruptcy lawyer has said, it's just, it was just sort of good old fashioned embezzlement, just people finally going to get their funds out when there were rumors that things weren't going well. Um, CZ was kind of pushing some of that. And, um, you know, it, there, there was nothing to, there was nothing left. It had been written out in loans and purchased weird coins and definitely not custodied in each customer's account. That's for sure. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. 
Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. After resigning, some people would lawyer up and hide from the world. SBF did not do that. He went on a media tour. That's the only thing we can call it. And at one point, I saw somebody tweeting, we need to retire the word exclusive because he had given so many quote-unquote exclusive interviews to the likes of George Stephanopoulos, Andrew Ross Sorkin of DealBook, Vox's Kelsey Piper. I think there was an Axios one mixed in there. What did you make of this very, very chatty and strange media tour? It's it's funny because in the I remember in the first couple of days after um, they declared bankruptcy, he was still listed on uh, this New York Times Deal Book Summit um, symposium with all these different speakers, and people were sharing the screenshot and saying like I can't believe they're still having him and all this. And I was just thinking, like, well, he's it's obviously not happening. He's they just haven't taken it down off the web. Like, I, I just thought it was kind of stupid that people were even screenshotting that. And then little did I know that was kind of the the opening salvo in, like you said, a world tour that you know, I, at one point I was signed into some weird crypto Twitter space where he was being interviewed by someone named Coffeezilla. Um, <laughs> and that was one of several of those. And um you know, like, like you said, um, and like Andrew Ross Sorkin asked him, like, what would, a you know, everyone's first thing is that you can't talk when you, when you hire a lawyer. And so, um, you know, there, I remember there were times, I think during the, the Sorkin interview where he got like kicked off his connection and people were joking about a lawyer, you know, someone coming in from Sullivan and Cromwell and pulling the plug. And, um, I don't know, you know, it's interesting because, the first time I watched it, um, it felt really extraordinary. And then as they've gone on, you really start to see what he just does and doesn't answer. And there's a lot of doesn't in there. Um, there's a lot of very contrite, almost aggressively contrite, um, you know, I screwed up. Everyone hates me. I know it. I wish I did everything differently. And it's, it, but there's nothing like behind that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you get, a sense that he wants to apologize his way out of it, make amends in some weird public way, or just I'm enjoying the attention. And this is the last blast of attention I might get of this kind for a while. Yeah. Cause I've seen someone say, you know, this is just a game to him. 
and I don't, it's hard for me to figure out like if that's the case um, or if he truly just, you know, it's funny. One of the, I remember um, when he did the interview with Kelsey from, uh, from box, which was, uh, which was kind of my favorite, you know, the only, which was the most interesting and different of all the interviews. And for those that don't know it, um, it, it was all on Twitter DM and it was with a girl that, you know, he knew, you know, they knew each other in the world, but I don't get the sense there. He said they were friends. I don't, she has said, you know, they weren't particularly tight or anything like that. Um, and it was a DM exchange in which he became, it was very kind of not, almost nihilistic, um, saying a lot of this stuff is just for show. Um, and, but it was really interesting to kind of see that side of him. Um, so that one stuck out to me a lot. Um, and the others, I don't know what I, there was one I watched where they asked him straight up, um, you know, are you trying to create like a unfit, you know, unfit defense here by doing all these interviews, you know, to show that you were in the right state of mind. And he kind of was like, no, I just, you know, I, I just, I'll do whatever I can to help. And I want to, you know, I want to help. I want to do right by my customers and get them the money back is what he kind of keeps returning to. But again, I don't really think that means much. That would be an amazing defense. Nobody in their right state of mind would have done this many press interviews. Therefore, yeah, even people that are trying to promote something don't do these many interviews. <laughs> you mentioned Michael Lewis's name. We got one of those news stories that every journalist read at the same time. And every journalist, I think, experienced some pang of envy or just I don't, I don't quite, can't quite describe the emotion, but we learned that Michael Lewis had basically been embedded with SBF for a long period of time. Michael Lewis, of course, author of Moneyball, The Big Short, Liar's Poker, and many other books. What did you make of the news that Lewis had an in on the biggest story on the planet? Three words, still got it. <laughs> <laughs> he might take issue with being an old guy but i, I appreciate I, I the catchphrase i just say more than the three um no but you know I, I had sort of like there had been rumblings prior where it was like you know it was in one of the it was some bullet point in some media newsletter that was like months ago like <clears throat> michael lewis is working on some kind of book about crypto and he says like i think i found like the ultimate character um and it would just kind of came and went. And I think maybe at the time people were maybe guessing who it was, but it was just a little minor thing. And then when people, when this all happened and that news came out and then the publisher ultimately issued a press release about it. Um, yeah, just the fact, I mean, I'm so excited to read it and um, <laughs> even more excited now that I see kind of how open Sam can be even when he's not being open, but I mean, just imagine the conversations that they have probably had. Um, like I said, I'm interested in the angle of the sort of rivalry between these guys. Um, there's just always a lot of potential there and it, you know, it can also, I just think broaden the story from being just about FTX to being about, you know, what is this, what is this thing and who are these people that have become like the leaders of it? Um, yeah. So, you know, he's done it again or he will do it again. The one thing I took issue to was I started to see this kind of genre of tweet that was like, you know, when 
when Isaac Chotner comes calling and when Michael Lewis wants to interview you, like you're about to, you know, you're about to go down. And I don't think that's necessarily like what Michael Lewis's stuff has been about. It hasn't no. been about like, you know, exposing these things and taking people down. It's been about sort of sell it, like finding these people and not like lifting them up. That sounds too trite, but you know what I mean? I just thought that th- that genre of tweet misunderstood his work. And I wanted to say that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's Billy Bean, right? And that's, and it also made me interested because that little squib from the book compared SBF to Luke Skywalker. (laughs) And I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to this, but like, I wanted to know what would the Michael Lewis book have looked like if it came out six months ago, as opposed to coming out after the timing's super lucky that it wasn't, yeah, like later on in the stages of being done or whatever it's kind of the perfect you know now he has the rise and the fall yeah it reminds me of those books that were written about the astros you know right when the GD scandal <laughs> came out the new the brilliant way to build a baseball team and they're like uh-oh uh, <laughs> spf was arrested in the bahamas this week and one notable thing about his arraignment was that he was wearing a suit this is different there was a whole piece uh, that I enjoyed in the New York Times by Vanessa Friedman about how <laughs> his downfall may also signal the downfall of a particular way of dressing among Silicon Valley masters of the universe. What do you make of SBF style and its future or non-future? It's funny. I, I had the same thing. I had that in my notes. Bahamas arrest. First time I've seen him wearing a suit, question mark. Um, it was a good suit too. It was like Navy. I thought it looked good. Um, yeah. I, you know, between, between him, we have, you know, I, I think that kind of idea of the founder being so above the realm of you petty, you know, suit, you know, suit wears and and that being like an attractive thing you kind of keep thinking that that'll go out at some point but it's been pretty persistent you know over the years like people still fall for that um whether they still will like probably <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's a powerful impulse to to see someone um not dressed for the occasion and to feel that you know maybe they're just maybe they're on to something that's part of the image making in these profiles right this is friedman's line not just any t-shirt and cargo shorts but what could seem like the baggiest most stretched out most slept in most consciously unflattering t-shirts and shorts it's a uniform that telegraphs to the watching world somebody who doesn't have the time to worry about what they're wearing because they are thinking such big world-changing thoughts it's so true it's like zuckerberg wears the t-shirts too but you get the sense that they're they probably each cost like $5,000. Like, you know, they're probably sewn with a special silk and, but it just looks like a Heather Gray t-shirt, but SPF was not that way. It was like wearing your, you know, nineties kid wearing a hard rock cafe t-shirt that they got on vacation that is, you know, square shaped, perfectly square. (laughs) And it really was like a different, you know, the sock, he always had new balances on. He he was consistent with his shoe shoes, in my opinion, kind of weird length socks, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just, I mean, the, the fact that he was on his home turf at the FTX conference in the Bahamas on stage with 
Giselle, like, I mean, he really, he, he didn't stray from, um, from his look at all. So I guess you can commend that, but it really is striking. Do you think we can bring back the hard rock cafe t-shirt? I, I was just thinking about like the, um, the mat or whatever they, the, the dog one, the, the mad dog or whatever, the co-ed naked. I would, I would happily bring back the co-ed <laughs> naked. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I always think of like, he really looks like, he really looks like he should be wearing umbros, but instead he accessorizes with khakis. <laughs> I'm not bringing that back. That's, that's where I draw the line. Katie Baker, read everything she writes at The Ringer, including the FTX Crypto Scandal Explainer Dictionary, which was an awesome piece. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the Press Box. Thank you. It is time for the second weekly edition of David Shoemaker Guesses, the Strain Pun Headline. Yeah. Monday's headline, atop a story about the resurgent Detroit Lions, was Goff Claps. <laughs> it's in Jared Goff. Today's headline comes from Marcos Aragon. It's from KPNX News 12 down there in the great city of Phoenix, Arizona. Cinema country, as I call it, David. <laughs> the subhead is kind of a scary one. At least it activates my old childhood nightmares. Rattlesnake found in ball dispenser at Top Golf. I'll read a little <laughs> bit of this to you. What? It all started when Arizona YouTuber and professional snake wrangler Rattlesnake Solutions posted a video this past November of a recent call the business received near Scottsdale. In the video, Marissa, a member of the snake relocation team, says she's on the way to Top Golf in Scottsdale for a rattlesnake removal. Once she arrives, a couple of employees point her to the ball dispenser where the snake is hiding. So we're looking for golf and a rattlesnake. Just a snake, maybe. What was News 12 strain pun headline? Slither. Rattle. Oh, so it's not rattle. Um, yeah, um, no rattle. Hole in one. Uh, swing. Oh, swing. I like. Swing and a hiss. Swing and a hiss. Yeah. Bang. That's good. You're back on the streak again. One. One in a row. It's only going only going upward. Well, I guess it can go back down. <laughs> he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media plus our annual year in media pod. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.